This year on Wild Ideas Worth Living, we've been exploring how nature interacts with our lives other than just through activities like surfing and hiking. We've spoken about music inspired by nature with G-Love, gardening and foraging with Rob Greenfield. We've looked into mindfulness in the outdoors with John Alcock. This week, I wanted to dive into the connection between art and nature with two incredibly talented women, Lovis Wise and Lisa Congdon, and also get into how to make it as an artist, which is no easy feat. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. I often come up with my best ideas when I'm out surfing or hiking. I wanted to know how other creatives are inspired by nature, what that looks like in their work, and how they've been able to make a living doing what they love. Love is Wise is an illustrator and designer from Maryland who's been living in Philly the last few years and soon will live in L.A., She's the second black woman ever to illustrate a cover for The New Yorker magazine, and she has now been featured twice. Her art spotlights a diverse range of people in colorful, lush environments, all inspired by Lovis's own time outside. There's a bright pink woman reaching her hand into electric blue waters, a mother and child watering a garden, and bus enveloped by flowers and foliage. Lovis has had quite the success story, and she has an amazing message for inclusivity and representation through both art and the outdoors. So we should just get right into your name, because yeah. I, I never know how to say it right. It's the most beautiful, coolest, probably most badass name of anyone I've ever interviewed. Love is wise. I mean, how did you get that name? Thank you. It was given to me by my dad. My great grandmother, her name is Love is Edwards. So I inherited her name. And ironically, our last name is wise. So it just came together. Oh, it's beautiful. How did you discover your love of art? Ooh, okay. I love answering this question. So I was always into art and design and I discovered recently, I guess I kind of hid this memory, but my dad would always, um, he would get the paper, we'd be on the train and I'd be like, I want the style section and I also want the comics. So I was like really into narrative, very much so into design. And I mean, he was a photographer and a painter and he would just kind of have me like into that world. And I grew up in D.C. and there's free museums. We didn't have a lot of money. So we would always just go to the museums and I was just obsessed. So it was always around me for as long as I can remember. I don't remember a moment where art and design wasn't in my life. How do you describe your own art today? I know you're an illustrator, but I'm, I'm not an artist at all. So I'm, I'm really curious, you know, what sort of mediums you work in and, and how you describe it. I see your stuff and I just know it's beautiful and it resonates with me and it feels really good. But that's about as articulate as I can get about it. Mm, yeah, I recently just discovered what makes my work what it is. But I had a conversation with a friend and we were just talking about radical joy and like how beautiful it is to be joyous these days because there's so much just anger and like upset around us. And I think um, I found my way just by, you know, making work about just radical joy and what it just means to be happy and joyful and, you know, implement that into the work that I do. I love that radical joy. Yeah. That should be a book, a movie, yeah. your album cover. <laughs> but it's mostly illustration. Mostly illustration. Everything is done in a sketchbook and then painted and finalized in Photoshop. Um, I recently, I travel a lot. So 
a lot of the times I have to finish things up and procreate or I might start a piece and procreate on my iPad. And that's really cool, too. How did you get started? Did you start like doodling on a piece of paper when you were in class or at school? Yeah. So I was always into sketchbooking and doodling on paper, doodling on my notes. And um, I discovered digital art from undergrad. So I went to art school here in Philadelphia and I just learned more about how to use those tools. And I was always just sketching and doodling and just drawing things. What was your go-to doodle as a kid? Like I would draw a wave, a surfer nice. and the gotcha brand. Logo. Yes. <laughs> well, but I, but I grew up, you know, in the eighties when I was a kid. Nice. What, what did you, what were your doodles as a kid? Definitely eyes. And I love, what did I like doing a lot? I, I don't know if you guys will know this. If I say this, I don't even know what this thing is called. Do you remember that S thing? It's like the three lines on top. Yes, and I used to draw the, the S all the time because my name <laughs> is Shelby. Is, so I, right. I would do that all the time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can draw it right now. How funny. So so you drew the S. What else? I wasn't formally trained at all, but I was really trying to be good at it. And I was like, I want to draw faces. Let me just draw this face. I would try to draw from reference, uh, like old photographs. I remember like I was maybe 10 and I found like a baby photo of me and then I tried to draw myself and I was so upset because it wasn't good. <laughs> but um, I just I've always been into drawing people and figures and faces. Did art school really help you refine your technical aspect of what you do or did you kind of learn as you go? Oh, definitely. I mean, art school is great in a way that it creates a community and I'm able mm -hmm. to bounce ideas off of my peers and learn from them and grow and really realize like what it is I appreciate about design and where illustration was going. So seeing them play in a different way and come with different perspectives like my peers, I soon developed my own lane and started to realize what, what are the narratives that I wanted to cover or what sort of imagery made me happy or the things that I enjoy drawing. You know, just hearing feedback and constantly being in critiques really helped to groom me as mm. an illustrator. What are those themes that really bring you radical joy that you love to draw and create? Ooh, representation. I love drawing people of color. I love drawing people that I grew up with, people that I know and love. I appreciate um, drawing and creating affirmations, dreams, plants, nature, because I, I grew up with these things in my life. So to bring that into the world in my artistic world and explore that in my voice really makes me happy. So let's, let's dig into that nature. I mean, you grew up in kind of an urban environment, but you said you also grew up with nature. Yeah. So Maryland has a lot of it. Yeah, you're right. Maryland does have a lot of it. I remember we went hiking and Johnny was like, well, there's ticks and you got to wear all this bug spray. And I was like, what? yeah, I had no idea that I was supposed <laughs> to be in bug spray. Nature is such a theme of your work. So what role did that play in your life as a kid growing up? Ooh, a, a really big one, actually. I mean, I have so many memories of just going on hikes with my dad or camping or just being outside and like rolling around in the dirt and grass. Um, and those things really brought me happiness. And I mean, I'm realizing I'm an earth sign. So a lot of these things really do connect. I love being grounded. I love being in nature, like putting my feet in soil to just connect back with the earth. 
and also gardening like is a huge thing in my work and growing growth is very important to me like I, my grandmother would always have me out in her garden and we just it was quality time that I would spend with her like really helpful quality time that I would spend with her yeah I don't think there's better time you could spend with your grandparents than helping them grow food that they're going to prepare to make a meal with you exactly that's you know so I now I understand this radical joy concept like to me that's radical so so you actually grew up hiking and just being in nature and gardening mm-hmm. when you hike what does that look like Ooh, I mean, it's just going to like a, there was like this wild, amazing trail in my neighborhood that we would go to. And we would just discover new things all the time in different ways around this, like this huge park that was just like in our backyard, essentially. But it just looked like discovering new things and seeing where we could go and like how far along we can get. I think that you grew up kind of hiking the same way I did hiking, like right out our backyards and the trails, but there was no ever desire to do for me Everest or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. But it was just this beautiful like tree hikes. Um, For me, I live in a more desert terrain, but I, I know those trails you're talking about in Maryland and they're just so beautiful and so luscious. And now it completely makes sense when I look at your art. Yeah. And there were also like vines. We would just hang off the vines and swing from them. It was crazy. That sounds so fun. Yeah, it was beautiful. So what I really want to ask you is, you know, how the outdoors can impact art for you. Mm. Inspiration. I get a lot of inspiration from being near earth and being outside and grounding myself because I, as an illustrator, I'm always working from my desk or my bed or in my house. And it it can get a little draining and then always being on my computer. So it kind of snaps me back to reality, being outside and taking an inspiration from like plants that I see or different gardens that I might see in my neighborhood or around. It's very grounding for me. So I I love being able to step away from my desk or step away from my bed and my computer and just be out in nature and then bring all of those elements back into the pieces that I make. Have you studied a little bit of the science of grounding? Because I hear you say that in like this morning. Okay, good. So so tell me a little bit about what you know. So I'm very much so like (laughs) into spiritual tools. Great. And me um, too. Very much so into like connecting with my ancestors to make to that. That's a huge part of like the work that I do. As a black person who has lineage, like I come from slaves. So a lot of my history is wrapped up in the outdoors. A lot of my history is wrapped up into nature's and being out there. So to be able to bring that back into the work and into a like a more loving and joyous state is just very important to me. Can we dive into that? I think that's so interesting. I mean, it sounds like what you're doing is you're just trying to take your relationship of your ancestors who had to spend time outdoors as slaves and transform it into a different type of relationship with the outdoors. Exactly. You know, I mean, for a while, even though I spent a lot of time outdoors, but there, there came a, a point in my life as I got older that I was like, uh kind of staying away from it and didn't really feel called to be out in nature as much. And I know a lot of people feel that reluctance to it that I know from my community that 
I don't know. There's just something taboo about it, I feel. But then it came, I think it's coming back into realization. I think just using different ancestral tools and uh, connecting with the earth as a way to just love yourself and get that love back into the earth and also to others. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in learning more about what you mean by these ancestral tools. Mm, so just different recipes and herbs and different things that we've, or traditions that we kind of cultivated over the years. Could you give me an example? <laughs> so to kind of go in a little bit further. <laughs> Sorry, I think uh, this is really so, fascinating no, cool. stuff. So No, it's cool. So I've been like really into learning more about different spiritual tools like hoodoo, which is very prevalent in African-American history as well with just these are like different spiritual tools that our ancestors use to kind of heal themselves. And they use the earth, like they use different herbs, they use different natural resources to be able to heal themselves and take care of each other. Mm. You know, I read that one thing you want to do is more art with people who are from underrepresented communities, whether they're minorities or they have disabilities. And I think that's so interesting. Yeah, it's definitely something that I've been focusing more in my work. Um, representation is so important to me and to be able to share stories from not even just from my own perspective, but from other perspectives is very important to me. And I feel like, I mean, as an illustrator, we're visual communicators. You have to. It's it's law. <laughs> like you need to be able to show different perspectives, share different stories. Art like music, you know, sport too, is really great unifier. If we can show people of all different races, sexes, abilities in art, I think then it just makes it so much more inclusive. Exactly. And it's such a beautiful medium to showcase people in. Yeah, exactly. What do you like about it? Like, why do you think that art works so well? Mm, I mean, when you first, the first tool that you learn as a child and how to communicate is visually, I think. When you're mark making, even though you're, I mean, you're communicating through like your voice and action, but the first thing we learn is art. The first thing we learn is like to draw or mark make, to be able to tell stories and talk. Or, you know, when you're that kid that's drawing on the walls or creating <laughs> comics, you know, in the best way that you can. And kids really connect to that. And people really connect to that. And I think what really got me into just wanting to create stories from different perspectives was not really seeing many pieces or being told of different Black artists and designers or being shown many pieces that look like me or my family or like people that I know, mm. you know? So, and I, I hear that so much like from the LGBTQIA community or people, folks with disabilities or, you know, or for, that come from different backgrounds. Like there's so many different things that we aren't being shown in mm -hmm. art and design. I mean, I feel like now we're definitely being shown that there's so many different perspectives that are coming out of just not out of nowhere, but they're just coming out. Have you gotten any feedback? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> what, what sort of feedback is most common? Mainly people that see themselves in the work and they connect with it and they, they remember certain parts of their childhood where 
they've like, for example, like the nurture cover for the New Yorker, which is my first, uh, I got so many people just showing me photos of them as children, like with their grandparents or their moms or like, you know, a parent or a guardian in their life or someone that was in their life that introduced them to nature and how important it was for them to see themselves in that space. So that New Yorker cover was huge. First of all, it was stunning, beautiful. Thank you. And it it, it really is that radical joy, it like brings up that emotion. But you were the first black woman to be asked to do a cover in the New Yorker in 93 years. Yeah, because uh, Kara Walker did the That's first. wild. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they're getting on it. But um, yeah. <laughs> and to be pretty young out of your career to get a New Yorker cover is awesome. It came out of nowhere. I was literally in, I think, my senior semester of school, like my last year. And that email came through and I thought it was not real. Like I was like, this can't possibly be. How did that happen? Like you were at school and somebody randomly contacted you. Did you submit first? No, I didn't submit at all. I mean, I just wrote down in my sketchbook a few months ago before that, that I wanted to work with them, but I didn't know to what capacity that would like, what that would look like. But the art director, Francois Smuley, she had emailed me and was like, I've seen your work and I think you'd be perfect to do a cover. And she sent me the calendar and was like, oh yeah, like check out the calendar to see which works best for you. I think you'd be really good for Mother's Day. Wow. I just got goosebumps. What work had she seen of yours before? I am not even sure. I feel like, so I did do a cover that circulated a lot, but uh, for this other uh, publication called Got a Girl Crush. Mm. And it was circulating around Brooklyn and around the country, honestly, because they had, they were stocked in a lot of different spaces around the country, but mainly in Brooklyn. And I think her assistant, knew someone who also was in the magazine. So I feel like maybe she saw the magazine and was like, oh, cool. Or maybe she just saw my work around because I was doing a, lo- a ton of editorial pieces so at the you time. Were, yeah, you're getting your work out there. I mean, that's what it took. So one of the things you did in your career is you did, and why I got to meet you is you, you did illustrations for the REI Force of Nature zine, and they're beautiful. But you've also worked with you know, like two New Yorker covers, Eileen Fisher, Refinery29. And, you know, you're not that long out of art school and it's impressive. So a lot of people listening are like, I want to make a living as an artist. So how did you learn to do it? So I definitely learned while I was in art school. And I mean, I just graduated last year (laughs) and I kind of, it was just trial and error. Just, I just learned that Putting myself out there is definitely key and to not fear anything. Like you have to be completely shameless to do this work or to do anything that you want to do to make Mm -hmm. any dream possible. You have to be shameless. You have to be able to get past your doubts and your fears or just the idea that, I mean, there's like a million people doing what you're trying to do, but no, there's no one that's going to look like you and there's no one else that's going to make the work that you do. I think it's scary putting yourself out there, though. A lot of people are like, oh, but if I like try to reach out to this person, like, you know, am I being annoying? And like, you know, you just got to do it. 
I see what you mean by that. And, and, you know, I've, I've dealt with that pitching my whole life and it's so scary. And, you know, I think as a creative, there's self-doubt and fear and perfectionism. And how do you deal with all of that? You know, fear, perfectionism, self-doubt that sometimes creeps in when you're creative. Ooh, affirmations for sure. I mean, I had, when I first started two years ago, I was like really suffering from imposter syndrome because I'm just, this, I was this kid that just jumped right into illustration design. I was just figuring out what my work was going to look like and just what the industry looked like as a whole. And um, I kind of, I doubted myself and I almost let like my doubts rule it, mm. like really rule my life. But I mean, and I know this is going to sound so simple, but just trusting yourself and saying like, it just takes you saying, hey, fear doesn't live here. Like I'm in control. I got this. And, you know, like, down fear doesn't live in me. I can do anything. And I just stuck with that mantra. And it's just been so helpful. Like I fear nothing. <laughs> so the mantra is fear doesn't live in me. Fear does not live here. Fear doesn't live no here. no place here. It does not serve me. I think I might have to borrow that. I think we can all borrow that. I think as artists yes. and creators and people living wild ideas, that's just part of it. You're going to be scared. You're going to be, you know, but I mean, it's up to you. Like I was just talking about this thing with a friend the other day, but we're our own enemies and no one else out to get you. No one is literally closing the door on you, but you, you just have to piece together the lessons and know like how to maneuver around things. Like if they don't work out, another opportunity comes along. There's always something else, but it's up to you to just really say to yourself, I'm going to keep pushing past this. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to let anything hold me back or, you know, I'm not going to allow myself to, you know, see this as the end. If you could paint kind of anything right now, what what would you paint? Like if you could just do a giant mural that was on an airplane that flew all over the world, like what is that image that you want people to see? Oh my God. Sorry to put yes. you on the spot. No, that's great because we're on the same page. So I'm like, I definitely want to do something figure-based, something with community, um, but also, of course, lots of plants. <laughs> of course, lots of plants and something nature-filled. I've been trying to get back into patterning and seeing what that looks like um, as like just like surface design kind of mm. pieces, something that's not super narrative based because those are really fun for me and they're very meditative. So, yeah, maybe something along those lines. But I mean, this is why I'm taking that month long break just to gain new inspiration and see where my work is headed too. So, do you meditate? But like, what are a couple of your routines you do before you make art? I know you do grounding. You get outside. You say your affirmations. Yes. So. I love washing my hair and showering because <laughs> I feel like the water is uh, bringing in information constantly. Mm. So whenever I'm stuck, I'll just be like, all right, let me just take a shower or wash my hair. And the information kind of just flows in. I'm like super hippie if you didn't know. <laughs> but yeah. I really want to take you surfing. We need to do it. I really, really like that. So you shower. What else do you do? 
step away from I'll step away from the environment that I'm in. So lately I've been going to this really cool park. Like I'll take a nice long walk with my dog and then we go to this park and we just sit outside and we chill in the grass. And that helps a lot with just coming up with ideas or, you know, kind of decompressing and getting away because this is tough work. You know, it's a lot like constantly making ideas. Yeah, creating out of nothing is really hard. I, I it completely really is. understand. It's like I'm playing God all the time. <laughs> How can people turn to art to to be inspired to get outside? Especially people who maybe don't think of the outside as a place where they really want to go. Yeah. I mean, just by putting it into the work that I do, literally taking these worlds and creating these magical places that's like nature filled. And putting different people in those spaces, like putting people of color in these beautiful, lush, green spaces and having them connect with it basically shows like, hey, like you can exist here, too. Love is I love talking to you. Any advice to people who want to make it as an artist? Claim it. Do it. Write down your intentions. Write down what it is that you want to do. And take yourself seriously about it. Just say what it is that you want and speak it as if it already happened because it has. Yes, girl, you're speaking my language. I love this. <laughs> I love that. Claim it. Claim your goals. Claim your space. Love is his message of belonging and grounding yourself in nature. It's something that really hit me to the core. I love that she's creating beautiful art that represents all kinds of people. She's creating the world she wants to see. We'll be right back. Summer is the best time to get out and try something new or different. For me, I enjoy being near the water or in the mountains. Did you know that REI offers classes and guided trips all over the country? From paddling to climbing, hiking and campouts, there's something for everyone. What better way to spend a weekend than rock climbing in Colorado at sunset or taking a moonlight hike in the Smoky Mountains or even going stand-up paddling on a camping trip in San Diego? REI will provide the guides and connect you with the gear you need to create an epic summer moment. Experience more with REI and register at rei.com forward slash events. Lisa Congdon is a visual artist based in Portland, Oregon, who's known for her colorful paintings and hand lettering. She didn't start out as early in life as Lovis, though. In fact, she didn't start until after she took an art class in her 30s. She became addicted, and eventually, she made art her full-time career. Her work is full of bright patterns, plants, animals, and inspirational and often humorous, bold messages that really resonate with me. So you actually know Lovis Wise. Yes. It's kind of a fairly recent story. I want to say like around two years ago, I was following her on Instagram and I she was either still in school or she had just graduated and she made a t-shirt with this print company in Philadelphia that she posted and I was like, oh, this is such a cool t-shirt. So I ordered one and then 
it came and I put it in the wash and the ink ran. <laughs> And, it, and I was like emailing the print company and they didn't email me back because I was like, I, I need a new shirt. So then I, I messaged her and I was like, by the way, huge fan of your work. I bought this T-shirt and she apparently was like, oh, my God, you know, because she had followed me for years and read my business book. And like she was like, let me take care of this for you. So she like emailed them. They got back to me. I got a new T-shirt. And then our friendship started, basically. And uh I've sort of been watching her career grow over the last couple of years, and it's pretty astonishing. I talk a lot, you know, as somebody who's, you know, been a working artist for a long time, that there's often this perception that people experience overnight success. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what happened to Levis, but if there's, she's about as close as you can get. So we've just sort of forged friendship. She came to Portland for a conference uh, where she was speaking. I introduced her at the conference. We hung out. She was back here again. Recently, I was in Philly, so I got to hang out with her. So we've actually like have an in real life friendship, which is really awesome. So what's so interesting about you, you know, Lovis is young and she's 25 and just crushing it. But you said you got into art in your 30s. I did. So I, I was working in education and at the time I was working... Um, at an education nonprofit. So I was sort of in this world where I was working for th- for things that I believed in, but I was in the sort of soul-sucking grind of like getting up and going to an office every day and working for eight hours and coming home. And I was finding it really depressing. And so athletics has always been, you know, and the outdoors has always been a big part of my life. And so that was already sort of part of my way of like dealing with office life. But I also started taking art classes and I started like kind of diving into creativity as another antidote to how I was feeling. What did that look like? So when you just started, you took an art class, like what kind of art class, what stuff did you start drawing, painting, sculpting? So I've always sort of been a creative person. I come from a family of creative people and I never imagined that could be someone's career. It was just, you know, part of like my DNA in a way. So I had made stuff and like been creative and always been in relationships with artists, but I never considered myself artistic, oddly. But in about 2001 or two, my brother, who's two years older than I am, he was actually in school at the time to get his landscape design degree at UC Berkeley. And he needed to take an elective. And he was like, hey, I found this painting class. And it's it's at the San Francisco campus on Friday nights. Do you want to take it with me? So I said, sure. And I had just gone through a breakup with somebody I'd been with for, you know, almost 10 years. And I was sort of like, struggling a little bit. And I thought, you know what, taking a painting class with my brother could be really fun way to like kill a Friday night. And so we ended up taking this class together. And my we mostly sat in the back of the class and like goofed off. And it was really fun to hang out with my brother. But you know, the the sort of long shot thing that happened was that my brother, you know, we got through the class, my brother never picked up a paintbrush again. But like, I was like, whoa, I don't want to stop doing this. So I, I ended up signing up for another painting class with the same teacher in his private studio in San Francisco. And I started taking painting classes. And then I took a live drawing class at the LGBTQ Center 
in San Francisco. And then I set up a little studio at my kitchen table. And again, this is before Facebook or Instagram or social media. And so I was just making stuff in the privacy of my own apartment. There was no audience for it. There was no, you know, likes or comments. This was just my own sort of personal journey. And I would make things for people and give them away. And then in around 2004, I decided to start a blog. And that was like right at the beginning of the like DIY movement. And I joined Flickr and started a blog. And I started just sort of increasingly sharing what I was making with a very, very, very small audience. But I got kind of intrigued by this idea of making work and putting it out into the world. Again, totally not at all thinking about, oh, can I make a living at this? That never even occurred to me. And then, you know, within a couple of years, around 2006, I got invited to have my first show in Seattle at a little shop. And I was like, okay, it's official. I guess I'm an artist now. Um, Even though that sort of made me cringe because I didn't feel like I deserved it as a, you know, sort of self-taught person. But I was starting to build a body of work that people wanted to to buy. Um, It was super cheap. And then the next year I opened an Etsy shop and, you know, then I thought, well, you know what, maybe I could actually find other income streams through my art and eventually maybe I could even leave my job. And I started having shows and, and then like one thing after another started to happen in around 2008, I hit my first tipping point. It wasn't the, the tipping point that made it possible to do it full time, but it was the tipping point that made me realize like, oh, if I put enough effort into this and I like dive into this adventure, I, I think I could make something happen. What was that tipping point? The tipping point for me in 2008, a big one was I signed with a fairly prestigious illustration agent and I had a very small portfolio at the time. So she must have seen something in me. Like she must have seen my potential because I had one line of stationery that I had produced with Chronicle Books, who's now a long, long, like my longest running client. I did this one really small product with them and I had maybe done some illustrations for another small client and this agent just swooped me under her wing. And I'm no longer with her because at some point, you know, I was like able to go out on my own and I didn't necessarily need representation. But that was a huge break for me. I opened an Etsy shop and I started selling my work. Again, not not a ton at first. Um, That didn't really happen until a few years later. But there was enough happening that I could visualize that if I kept doing it, And I kept sort of like putting myself out there that eventually I could make a decent living. I I never imagined that I could do what I do now, but like I thought I could do this like and I could pay my 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 mortgage and I could make my car payments and I could eat and have a little bit of a social life. And I kept working at it until that happened. And then somewhere in there, I quit my job for a while. I was doing both. So you're you're an outdoorsy person. You've always been an outdoorsy person. Tell me a little bit about kind of what you do outside. I mean, you live in Portland, Portlandia. Like I I have this great vision of what you might do outside. (laughs) Yeah. So I, so a little background, like I grew up camping. I was like, you know, from your typical white upper middle class family with kind of hippie parents. So I went to, I did a lot of camping. I grew up in California. So, you know, we were always going to the Sierra Nevadas and like, 
spending a lot of time outdoors. My parents loved hiking, and that was a big part of my childhood. And I was probably complaining 50% of the time that my feet hurt or whatever, but I was also simultaneously growing an appreciation for like the beauty of the California landscape. And then as I went out on my own and graduated from from college, I explored lots of things. So since high school, I've also was also a competitive swimmer for a really long time. I swam masters until I was 40. Um, I was a coach on a master's team in San Francisco. And then my art career started taking off and I had to I had to like scale back swimming. But the thing that I've really fallen in love with over the last 10 or actually it's probably been 20 years, but really in the last 10 years, I've I've just become a road cyclist. So, nice. so I ride on a women's cycling team here in Portland called Sorella Forte. And it's a huge part of my life. Every Almost every Saturday, I go out with my team and ride out in Portland and Portland country, like out the, the sort of countryside and beautiful areas outside of Portland. And um, so I feel very lucky to have that. And of course, like everyone else, I love to go hiking and walking and any kind of land adventure. You're in an all women's team. How cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I love this. Like I've, I, I mean, obviously Portland has a really big cycle culture. It's probably a great place to be a cyclist. Yeah. And in fact, it's interesting. I used to ride in the Bay Area in California when I lived there. And um, that was also amazing and got really sort of attached to all of my routes and then moved to Portland and like was extremely intimidated about getting lost and not knowing where I was going. And it wasn't until I joined this team where other people I lead rides now, but like where other people were leading the rides that I got comfortable, you know, because. I think especially on a bike, you don't want to get lost. You don't want to like get to a place where you're in some sort of, you know, having to climb a hill or something that is out of your range or whatever. So it's always nice to have other people kind of help you along. And that's the great thing about a team. Like some members of my team race and I might race at some point. But right now, because my career is so busy, I just ride for fun. And a lot of people on the team just ride for fun. And it's such a supportive way to go on a bike ride. Like you're with anywhere from four to, you know, 18 other women, depending on how many people show up on a Saturday. There's a range of speeds. It's a no drop ride, which means that even if something happens, like people wait for you, if you have a flat, like, it's really amazing. And I've made some incredible friends on the team. And it really has just been wonderful. Like it's sort of taken the place of what swimming was for me in my 20s and 30s. And and my wife is on the team too. So it's kind of a family affair at that. It's (laughs) awesome to be able to do what you love with your partner. Yes. I mean, I surf with my partner every day, but I'm a little competitive with him. When he gets more <laughs> waves, I get a little bummed. But that's just how it is. And I have to get over that. And I've been working on that for a while. Well, so. I would definitely say there's probably things that we are competitive about, but cycling just happens to not be one of them. So I love your art. It's bold. It's bright. It's just audacious. You You talk about like you know, conquering your fear and doing things anyway or going all in. Like there's this painting you have of a girl leaping into a pool and it's like, go all in. And you have one about laundry. Laundry is my superpower and it says something else. 
It says, uh, laundry is my actual superpower. Laundry is my actual superpower. My actual superpower. So you yeah. have this painting, laundry is my actual superpower. You have so many great illustrations and paintings. They're really bold and colorful. You know, what, what inspires you to create like this? You know, art really saved my life in a way. I think I, I mentioned earlier that I, I sort of was caught in a, in a spiral in my late 20s and early to mid thirties of a lot of just working and looking for stuff outside of myself to make me happy so that I could feel some sense of fulfillment or satisfaction. And the first thing I did before I started, you know, like as I was making art, I also started going to therapy. And like one of the things I learned from my therapist was, or one of the things I worked through was that I had sort of always thought of myself as a victim or somebody who was sort of a victim of fate or, you know, bad luck. And that's why I wasn't in a fulfilling relationship. That's why I was in a job that felt boring. Um, that's, you know, that was the reason for everything. And I learned in this relationship with my therapist that I actually had agency in my life and that I could actually find something that I could like wake up and do every day with joy and intention and I could make a difference in the world and I could make a difference in my own life. Like it, everything was up to me. Everything was, my, was my choice and, and my responsibility. And once I sort of changed my mindset, I had already been making art at that point, but my art really took on a new direction. And I've always been really attracted to art that is really bold and colorful and graphic. And I, Increasingly over the years, my work has become more bold and more colorful and graphic. But I think that's definitely a reflection of the joy that I started to feel in my life. And I mean, I think we think of art often as like dark or depressing for a lot of people or that only, you know, like real art is actually just really dark and depressing. Um, and I had to get over that because I was making stuff that actually made people feel happiness and that expressed positivity. And so, you know, some of my work is darker and edgier, especially some of my older work. But I feel like what I do now is just a, sort of an extension of like how I feel about life. And oftentimes that's, you know, asking and answering the same questions that a lot of people ask, you know, like, what is the meaning of life? And like, why am I here? And you know, what is my responsibility to myself and others? And like, what can I do to make a difference in the world? And all of those things. And so my art often reflects that. How does that show up in your work? Like, how does your inspiration from nature and your relationship to cycling and the outdoors and swimming and the outside, all that, how does that show up in your work or inspire your work? You know, I think we often think of artists as being sort of unathletic, right? Like that, and there are sort of a, a special category of us that are both athletes and artists. And I've learned, because I talk about both things a lot, that I'm not alone. There's a lot of, you know, other folks out there. You know, for as many kind of artists who who don't move their bodies very often as there are in the world, there are plenty who do. And And part of that is that I think making art and becoming really good at art or a sort of decent artist or creative person requires the same amount of discipline that becoming a better athlete requires. Like literally they draw from the same part of you. And so a lot of my art isn't specifically about, you know, getting outside or moving your body or 
athletics, but it is about going out into the world and like taking risks and doing things that are joyful for you or like empowering for you and making choices that support your well-being and health versus making choices that don't. So I think, you know, for me, like my art is often motivational for people, whether it's about getting outside or whether it's about like kicking themselves in the butt to do the next thing in their career. Or reminding someone there's nothing wrong with them. Like they're okay right now as they are. I love that. I've seen a lot of those from you. And I, I feel like just that reminder, like, hey, you're okay. But the way you present it is beautiful. Well, thank you very much. And I, I want to say too, that when it comes to, for a lot of people, this idea of like, even getting out into nature and taking a hike because they didn't grow up with it, or it's not sort of part of like how they've lived their life so far, or maybe they're, they haven't been a very active person, right? So that they think something's wrong with them and it, and they can't go do the thing until, that thing isn't wrong with them anymore. So they might say, oh, well, you know, I'm too heavy or I'm too this or I'm too that, right? I need to conquer those things before I go outside. But none of that matters. Like anybody can stand up and take a walk and go outside. I mean, it might be harder for some people than others, but the idea is to remember, like there's nothing wrong with you. There's no reason to hold yourself back from going out and being physical or, you know, finding joy in the outdoors. You may think it's not part of your story. You may think you don't deserve it. You you know, whatever. But there's nothing wrong with you. Like, go, go do it. Go we, do the thing. We talk a lot about on the podcast that the trees do not discriminate. They do not care what you look like, how much you weigh, how much money you got. So how can art be inspiration to get people outside? If you were to walk into an REI or a Patagonia store or a North Face, you know, I bet like 80% of what you're going to be drawn to are like the t-shirts and products that have amazing graphic art on them. And so much of that is on purpose. Like, I think people who understand or companies that understand the importance of getting outside also understand that people are inspired by visual imagery. And I think that's why more and more we're seeing a lot of big outdoor companies and athletic companies, even companies like Adidas and Nike adopt these sort of, you know, visual identities. Because if you think about like, even just like the Nike campaign, which was really the first big one around, like, just do it, right? And so much of that was, it wasn't necessarily at the time visual, like uh, art in the way like I draw or illustration, but it was sort of capturing a moment on film or in a photograph that would inspire someone to go try something. And I think we all like, I wouldn't say everyone, but you know, there's a certain percentage of the population who knows what it feels like to do something challenging outdoors, whether it's an athletic activity or just hiking or pushing yourself past what you thought you were capable of. And even in the moment while you're like cursing, <laughs> and you know, like half the time on my bike rides on Saturdays, I'm literally like, why am I doing this? This is horrible. And then I'm done. And guess what? I mean, you've been there. It's like, it's the most amazing feeling ever because you did it. Totally. And that's what we're all trying to capture. 
that's what I'm trying to inspire in people. And that's what other artists who encourage other people to get outside and do things are trying to evoke like this, like push yourself past, like don't just go do it, like go do it. And then some. One thing you've done so well that I really would like to talk about it, you know, advice you can give to aspiring artists who want to make a living doing it today. You know, I think the number one thing to remember is that it is not going to happen necessarily quickly. So patience is your best friend in the endeavor. <sighs> it's a hard <laughs> one. <laughs> I think it's especially hard now because if you are an aspiring artist, more likely than not, you're on a place like Instagram and you're looking at people who, you know, have are, overnight success. <laughs> Either either you perceive that they do or, you know, they've just happened to be really successful. But 95% of the people out there who you're looking at are, you know, Biz Stone, who founded Twitter. He's got this great yeah. quote, and I'm going to butcher it. But it's something like, you know, like 15 years of really hard work will make you look like an overnight success or something. It's it's He says it much more eloquently than that. But, like, um, it's true that. For, for those of us who now are experiencing this, having amazing careers, you know, I could tell you, yeah, 10 years worth of stories about struggle and getting up and showing up every day, even though I wasn't making any money and getting the work that I, that I wanted to get and just sort of showing up and continuing to push forward. So that sort of perseverance uh, and patience with yourself and not comparing yourself to other people because everyone's journey is totally different. There were people five or six years ago who seemed so much further ahead of me in their careers than I felt. And I, and now at this point, I've sort of like, I'm on this completely different path than they're on and doing my own sort of amazing things. And I realized like if I had let comparing myself to those people at the time stop me, I, ne I never would have gotten where I am, which is exactly where I need to be. You know, it's like, that's another thing I like to say, like, you're exactly where you need to be. You may feel it's like not happening fast enough, but you're where you need to be. You're learning what you need to learn as long as you're showing up every day and putting your best effort forward. Pursuing creative endeavors can be frustrating, but also exhilarating, peaceful, and fulfilling. It's in the outdoors where I believe some of the best ideas for these creative endeavors generate. So next time you're outside, listen to the rustle of the leaves, the sound of the waves hitting the shore, or take a closer look at the brightly colored wildflowers. Just take in all the amazing sights and sounds all around. It's such a wild, wild world. I loved listening to these two women talk about the success they've found in pursuing their passions and sharing their heart and soul through art, with all of us. You can check out loveiswiseillustration.myportfolio.com and lisacongdon.com to see their work or follow them on Instagram at loveiswiseillu or at lisacongdon. This podcast is produced by REI with the help from Annie Fassler and Chelsea Davis. Thank you so much to Lovis and Lisa for taking the time to share your stories and inspirations with us. You both are welcome to San Diego to surf anytime. Sooner the better because it's warm right now. 
Tune in week after next as I speak with people who've done an extreme adventure and what doing something really extreme like paddling from Alaska to Mexico can teach us. If you like this show, please take two minutes to sign in on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify and write a review. The funnier the better, but no pressure. These reviews help the podcast grow and they keep it free. As always, we appreciate when you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And remember, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest idea.